Well, good morning. Whether you love Tom Brady or can't stand Tom Brady, the one fact is, and the one thing you can't ignore, is the truth that he's a man who is disciplined, of incredible training. He's dedicated to his sport. Tom Brady will show up today at the Super Bowl fully prepared to go into battle. He is one who has recognized that the older he gets, that he must continue to prepare more than he ever has before, that he has to train harder than he ever has before. And he says often that you can never think that you have arrived. We must continue in our training. How's your training going? Not as an athlete, but as a servant of Jesus Christ. Have you been listening to your coach as he's been speaking into your life? Are you responding to him? Are you trusting him? Are you listening to his direction and trusting that it's good and it's right, that he knows what it's going to take to get you ready for the path ahead, that you trust him, that he knows exactly what it's going to take to help you grow in him? Here's the beautiful truth about our Lord. With amazing grace, with amazing grace, he will prepare his servants Let's invite that this morning, shall we, as we pray. Heavenly Father, we long to be your servants, prepared. We want to hear your voice, and so I pray that this morning, Lord, that you will teach us, that your power of your Holy Spirit will come upon us and and reveal to us your desires for us. We thank you that that you lead us and that that you prepare us as servants for all the the good things that you have in store for us. We love you, Lord Jesus. May you be glorified this morning. In your precious name, amen. Saul the Pharisee is a hater of the way. He's a murderer, and he's met by Jesus on the road to Damascus. In an amazing, powerful light, the light of the world came upon him. In amazing grace, he was blinded, so that he could see Jesus. His heart was transformed. He was a new creation. The scales fell from his eyes. And he began to see Jesus for who he truly was. Saul's conversion is a reminder to all of us that there is nobody, no one who's beyond the love of Jesus. There's no one that He can't come after his heart and change him. No one is beyond his love. He pursues every human heart with amazing grace. Many asked during this time when the scales fell off his eyes, is this the time when Saul's name changed to Paul? Like it was with Simon who became Peter, the rock. It's a misconception in the scriptures. Saul is his Hebrew name. Paul would have been the name that would have been used in the Gentile regions, in the, in the Roman regions. Paulos. I can only imagine Paul in Italy having a little place. Paulos, pasta and pizzeria in Italy. Come and learn about Jesus here. 
But there's a beautiful thing about name, the Paul's name. Paul means little or small. And I think how fitting for the transformed sinner, the one who became smaller and smaller and recognized that his only job was to grab that spotlight and point it on his big God, his Savior Jesus. That's all he wanted in life. I will become small so that you may see my big God and come to love him like I have and know of his love. He becomes a servant, prepared and ready. Saul now sees Jesus, and he's going to learn what it means to follow as his servant. And we know that he learns this as the scriptures speak. In Ephesians 3, 7, it says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given to me through the working of his power. In his greetings in Romans and in several of the epistles, he begins his letters by this, I am a servant of Jesus. He knows who he is. We too, as followers of Jesus Christ, are servants of him. John 12 says this, this is Jesus speaking, Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant shall be also. My Father will honor the one who serves me. You know what I know? As sinners saved by Jesus, our heart is that we desire to follow our Lord. We want to love him with our praise and with our obedience. We want to truly serve him. We want to walk into the good works that he has prepared in advance for us to step into. And Christ is our example. Mark 10.45 says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. In Philippians 2.7, it says that he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of servant. That's our Jesus. That's who he is. He is the suffering servant of Isaiah. And as he told Paul through Ananias, you will know what it means to suffer for my name. Just like Jesus. And we too, as his servants, will suffer for his name. A servant prepared to become a servant ready. But we are reminded in the scriptures of the Lord's wonderful work in Romans 8. He says, all of this work I'm the potter, I'm molding the clay. All of this work is I am conforming you, Romans 8, into the image of my son, Jesus. We are being made to look like Christ. We are becoming servants like our Lord Jesus. Will you allow him to do that work in your life? We stop kicking against the goads and receive his instruction, his guiding, his leading. Let's walk through the text in Acts chapter 9, beginning... In verse 19, learning from Saul's journey, a servant's first steps. Saul's been transformed by the risen Christ. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. And then verse 19, the second part of verse 19 says this. It says, for some days he was with the disciples. 
I don't want you to miss that part. He becomes a new believer in Jesus. He's a new person. And right away, for some days, he's with the disciples. You see, a converted life is a community life. A transformed life is a together life. Our God is a God of relationship. Our God wants us to step in with the disciples. We are his disciples. He wants us to live life together. You know what the beauty of that is? When we live life together, we get to see Christ in one another. We get to be built up by the body of Christ. This is one of the reasons that we came to you as elders and said to you at our 70-year anniversary, we long for each and every one of you to be connected to community in our growth groups, in all the different Bible studies. We want you in community because a converted life is a community life. We want you to experience the love of Jesus in community. Paul stepped right in with his disciples and he grew from that and he learned from them. We must not neglect our need for each other. And verse 20 says, immediately Paul went out and he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues. The one who was zealous for the law now was zealous for love. I cannot help but tell you about the love of Jesus now. I was so committed to the law and the rules and how to be righteous before God. Now I want to tell you about amazing grace. And he went right away. A quick obedience like Abraham taking his son Isaac first thing in the morning when God said, this is what I want you to do. And as he goes into the synagogues, he preaches, he is the son of God. All of teaching from this point forward is nothing but Jesus. I will grow small so that I will spotlight my big God, Jesus, my Savior. Everything is about Jesus. It's all him, nothing of me, all Jesus. And I will teach to you, Jesus is the Son of God. Yes, I was the one who was kicking against that. But he is indeed the Messiah, He did indeed rise from the dead. He's alive. Savior of the world who died on the cross for our sin and offers life to anyone who would believe upon his name, Jesus. Learning that Jesus is not only Savior, but that Jesus is Lord. And he learns to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. A lot of times... We have people who will say, oh, I was saved by Jesus. He's my Savior. But quite honestly, they never surrendered to his lordship, his authority. They don't really follow him, but he's my Savior. But they don't want to give up themselves. Paul surrendered everything to the lordship of Jesus. And he's being a servant prepared and a servant ready. As he was teaching in the synagogues, verse 21, all who heard him were amazed. You see, a a transformed life should cause people to go, oh my goodness, you are different. What is it that's different about you? You're not the guy who's killing people anymore. You're now talking about the love of Jesus and who he is. You, You aren't the same person. And you know what? He wasn't. And neither are we 
when we surrender our hearts to Jesus. People should be asking about us. Why are you different? And you know what happens? You know what the joy is when people ask that question? We get to take the spotlight as humble servants and we get to point it directly at Jesus. It's all because of Jesus' work in my life. This is why I'm different. He saved me. I'm a wretched sinner in need of a Savior. He is, he is making me like him, gentle, patient, loving. He's teaching me along the way, and he's full of grace because I make a ton of mistakes. That's who my Jesus is. That's what you're seeing. It's not me. It's Jesus. All were amazed by what Paul had been teaching and who he was. Now comes this interesting transition in the story. Many commentators feel that there's something missing between verses 21 and 22 that, that give us all insight more in about the many days that he was gone. And it comes out of Galatians 1. And I want you to turn there if you have your scriptures, and it begins in verse 15 I'll read from. But when he who set me apart, this is Paul speaking, before I was born... And who called me by his grace, he was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia. That's where he was for those three years. And then I again returned to Damascus. And then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem, after that time, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, and I remained there with him. This period of time, Paul is teaching in the synagogues, and he's, and he's telling them about Jesus. And as he's doing that, I, it seems that he's prompted by the Spirit in what I call time in the sand, time in the desert. He's led by the Spirit. He goes out to Arabia. You don't see a resistance to this. It's, it's like the Lord is leading him. Listen, I want you to go to Arabia, and we're going to have time together. Desert time throughout the Scriptures always seems to be training time. Always seems to be time that we are with the Lord and that he's teaching us, and he's preparing us, his servants, for these wonderful things that he has in store for us. Moses was in the desert a lot. The people of Israel wandered in the desert a lot. A time of learning from the Lord. King David, as he was running from Saul in the desert, hearing the voice of the Lord. Jesus, as he begins his ministry, right after he's baptized, what does it say? And the Spirit led him into the desert for 40 days. Even Jesus, just talking with the Father, depending on the Father. That's what our time in the desert is. And I want you to understand, it's part of the Lord preparing us as his servants. We're all going to have our time in the sand. Don't kick against that. Let the Lord do his work in you during that time. Let him minister to you. Spend time in the word of God, listening and learning about who Jesus is there in the desert. I can only imagine... For Saul, three years of listening. It's kind of like, Saul, stop talking. You've been talking a lot. Be still and know me. Learning to listen to the Holy Spirit, I think Saul is seeing Jesus in the desert in ways that he never saw before. 
I think there's a ton of aha moments as he's going through the Old Testament scriptures and all of a sudden like, my goodness, this is about you, Jesus. Look at all these prophecies. This is you. I think three years of just, aha, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. I think it must have been wonderful as the Lord is preparing his servant for what we know to be the most amazing ministry. But he took Saul out of the picture for a while and trained him up. What does that look like for us? When we have these times in the desert, but really even taking times to actually go into the desert with the Lord. I I hope that we're becoming a people of, of prayer, really, again, and not talking so much, just listening to Jesus. A people, again, in the Word, because the Word speaks about who our Lord is and reveals Him to us. Times where we're, we're learning from others in devotionals. I shared with you that uh, last year, 2018, I, I had the joy of spending the whole year, and I, I walked through Tim Keller's uh, devotionals on, on the Psalms and the Proverbs, and I was just so encouraged by that. And this year, my wife, she had been going through this devotional by um, Paul David Tripp, it's called New Morning Mercies. So I picked this up at the beginning of this year because I wanted to have something to just be spending the time directed and spending the time in, with the Lord in. And I would just encourage this for you. This is a good one. And uh, if, you, if you're looking for a devotional, uh, you may want to take a look at this devotional. But it's time with the Lord, listening, being still, hearing from Him, and letting the Lord prepare us as His servants. Time in the sand, time in the desert. Then we have this transition in verse 22. As he comes back to Damascus, Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Three years of training, hearing from the Lord, he comes back. He's increasing in strength, which means the the Holy Spirit was really ministering through him. And it was powerful, and he spoke boldly of who Jesus was. And he confounded the Jews. He was proving to them that Jesus is the Christ. The the word proving has this idea that he took all of the scriptures of Old Testament and pointed how all those prophecies spoke directly about Jesus. I will prove from Old Testament prophecy this is who Jesus is. And he was doing that in the synagogues. And it was coming across powerfully. It reminds me of Lee Strobel, who was the newspaper reporter in Chicago, who wanted to disprove Jesus. He wanted to disprove God. He wanted to disprove the Bible. And so he spent all this zeal and energy trying to figure out the who, what, where, when, and whys to disprove everything about the Lord. And what happened is he had his own on the road to Damascus experience and realized everything where I'm trying to disprove the the Lord has shown me, it actually proves Jesus. Not only because of the scriptures and all that I've learned, but because he's changed my heart. He's transformed me and made me a new creation. And Lee Strobel does nothing now but talking about who Jesus is, a servant prepared. He's being trained in the desert. You know, as we, as we read this passage and as we see him teaching in the synagogues, you go, wow, Saul is being used in powerful ways for God's kingdom. Isn't this amazing? 
But I want to suggest as we read the rest of the story that the Lord is preparing Saul, his servant, by actually allowing him to fail. Because a servant fails. My mother is a Moroccan woman, a French Moroccan woman. She grew up in Rabat, Morocco. And so one of the joys of that is that around the Ritchie household when we were growing up, we'd have these amazing Moroccan meals. Couscous and lamb and all these wonderful aromas of spices. I had this often. And then my mother would prepare these amazing dinners, these get-togethers, and they were kind of theme parties. Dress up in Moroccan wear, show up, and we're going to have a full meal and celebrate together. And so we'd have all the pillows set out on the floor, and it was a wonderful, a wonderful time together. When I was 10 years old, my role for this particular meal was that I was going to be the one. That, she had a beautiful golden basin that you filled with warm water so that you would bring to the guest, and they would wash their hands in the warm water. And at 10 years old, it was a large basin. At 10 years old, I picked this thing up, and it was actually bigger than I was. And both my mother and father said, hey, do you need a little help with that? And at 10 years old, I said to them very loudly, I got this. I got it. I don't need help. And so I went with the wonderful warm water, and we had a Moroccan carpet on the floor, and my toe caught the edge of the carpet, and I baptized five of the people there that morning. As servants, we fail, and we feel like failures, but the Lord is full of grace, and he's patient as we learn to depend on him and him alone. He's going to lift us up, and he's going to set us on firm foundation, but we fail. Saul, who's been transformed by Jesus, who got a hold of his heart, who loves Jesus, all he wants to do is go and teach about it. I want to prove him. To everybody, I want him to know the Jesus that I know. But I think the Lord is opening Paul's eyes to see there's still some areas, Paul, that you need to grow in. As my servant, and I'm going to use failure to teach you some of that. But I'm going to walk with you through it. He confounds the Jews. Yeah! When we read that, we go, yes! But were they pierced to the heart? like when Peter gave the gospel message at Pentecost? Did they come to know the loving, saving grace of Jesus? What happened to their hearts? Their hearts were turned into murderous rage. We will kill Saul. Failure. He has to be lowered out in a basket to escape Damascus. This one who was coming strong, this one who had it all together, this one who was winning the argument. Now the hunter is hunted. The one who was breathing out just raging fury like a wild beast is now whimpering away with his tail between his legs. And he's sent off in failure. So he goes to Jerusalem. And he shows up in Jerusalem. Guess what? Nobody wanted anything to do with him. The apostles didn't want to spend time with him. They were afraid of him. They didn't trust him. Eventually, through Barnabas, he's able to go and start teaching. And he starts preaching boldly. 
And what happens? He's starting to teach, and he's starting to bring the word. And he brings it to the Hellenists, to the, to the Greeks. And he's debating with them. And he has such a brilliant mind, and he's winning the debate. And so the Greeks are saying, yes, Jesus. What happens to the Greeks? And they want to kill him. Are you seeing a pattern? Hearts aren't being transformed for Jesus. But Saul, in all of his abilities, is crushing any opponent before him. But their hearts aren't turned into love. They're turned into rage and murder. Now the church brings Paul to Caesarea, and they send him off to Tarsus. And we don't hear from Paul for another eight to ten years. Oh, my goodness. And once he is gone, this scripture is almost comical. Once he finally leaves, there's peace in the land. Ouch. Ouch. And the church grows. They're learning from the Lord. They're living in the fear of the Lord. The church is multiplying. But Jesus, what about me? Am I part of this? No, it has nothing to do with you. This is my church. And I want to use you to be part of my kingdom work. I don't need you to multiply my church. But I want to prepare you to be my servant, Paul. You see, he's doing that work in all of us. He's preparing us as servants to be part of his kingdom work. It's a great delight for him to include us. But he wants us to recognize it's nothing from ourselves. It's all Jesus. It's all Jesus. The church is built up and multiplying. He goes off to Tarsus, an incredible failure. How difficult it must have been to go home. Ellen Kitson said that must have been the hardest thing in the world, to go home, that place where he learned the Torah, that place where all of his friends were in their higher education. Would his family receive him? It must have been shame, shame, shame. Who are you, my son, who's turned to the way to Jesus? I would imagine it must have been very lonely, but obviously Christ living with him. We don't know much of what went on in Tarsus, but we do know that the Lord was preparing his servant. As Paul is getting on that boat to Tarsus, looking back at the apostles on the shore, I can only imagine he felt a great sense of failure. I can only liken it to how Tom Brady is going to feel today after the Super Bowl. <laughs> not only failure, not only failure, but confusion. Lord, what are you doing with me? What are you doing with me? I don't understand this path. But here's the beautiful thing about our loving Lord, who's so patient. He doesn't leave him in defeat in that place. He brings encouragement for the servant. Verse 27, two words, but Barnabas, but Barnabas. Barnabas took him, he grabbed him by the hand, took him under his wing, brought him right into the presence of the apostles. Barnabas, whose name means son of encouragement, brings him before. We find out later that Barnabas went in Acts chapter 11 to go visit Saul in Tarsus. What a good friend. What an encourager. You see, Barnabas was gifted with the Lord's eyes. He was gifted with this, this beautiful gifting that saw the best in people when nobody else did. 
What do our eyes see? Are our eyes critical when a brother or sister fails? Or do we come with compassion and see the best and the potential and help them stand up on firm ground again when they feel defeated? But Barnabas came in. Barnabas came alongside a young man named John Mark. John Mark, Paul did not like. Paul felt like he was not dedicated. And actually the scriptures say that Paul and Barnabas got in such a strong dispute over John Mark that they had to separate ways. You see, Paul didn't see much in John Mark, but Barnabas did. He saw the very best in him. And the Lord, empowered by the Holy Spirit, used Barnabas to encourage him to come along his side, to take him under his wing. And then we have the beautiful blessing of the Gospel of Mark that John Mark wrote. You wonder if we would have it if not for but Barnabas. And so young John Mark grows in the Lord as a disciple. Barnabas encourages him. And I want to ask that for us. Who is the Lord asking us to come alongside? Who's he asking us to encourage, to be their strength? Who would the Lord have you today to come and and speak words of truth for a brother or sister? What's the Lord doing with Saul? Don't we ask that same question? Lord, what are you doing with us on this journey? What are you doing with me? I don't understand this path. Well, the Lord is helping us as servants to be prepared, but to come to a place where we recognize that Jesus is everything. He's helping us to get rid of and he's stripping us of our flesh and our dependence upon our flesh. He's humbling us. He's teaching us that downward mobility is the way of the servant. He's helping us see that his suffering is going to have more impact than his speech to reflect reflect the life of Christ. Saul is learning to trust God's timing. Lord, I need help to understand. I I thought you wanted to be part of this now. And he's resting in that. The Lord's teaching him. He's teaching him to trust the path. Don't lean on your own understanding, Saul, but trust that I know the right way for you. I know you think... You would be perfect in the synagogues with the Pharisees, but I have you for the Gentiles. Trust me in that. And Saul is learning this as he's walking with the Savior. Ray Stedman says this in his book on Acts, and he's talking about the failure and just the struggle that Paul's going through and as he's being prepared as a servant, and he says this. The night they let me down over the wall in the basket, I began to learn something. He's speaking for Paul. It took me a long time to catch on, but there I began to learn God didn't need my abilities. He only needed my availability. He just needed me, not my background, not my ancestry. He didn't need my knowledge of the languages of Hebrew. In fact, he didn't have any particular intention of using these things to reach the Jews. He was going to send me to the Gentiles. And though Paul didn't fully understand it at the time, It was at this point that he began to assume the yoke of Christ 
and enter into the school of the Spirit, that Christ was stripping away the pride and the arrogance and helping them to learn it's only in Christ alone. It's only in Christ alone. My spotlight is not on me at all. It's on my Savior, Jesus. And so such confidence is this, that we have through Christ Jesus towards God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of the new covenant. It's out of this place of surrender that the servant is made ready for the Savior.